Take your Bibles, and if you don't know by now, turn to Psalm 23. Over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to look at together. We're going to look at this psalm that is one of the most beloved psalms, one of the most beloved parts of Scripture. I want to start this morning with a story about a guy named Maurice Pink. Now, most of you have probably never heard of Maurice. This is him. He is a World War II veteran, but not of the United States, but of the British Army. He was a British World War II veteran, and he is what you would call a survivor. Twice he was on ships that were sunk by enemy fire. He was once on a ship that was chasing the German Bismarck. He was one of the ones on a boat that helped to evacuate Dunkirk, if you know that story. He narrowly escaped prison camps in Japan as he escaped from Singapore as it was falling to the enemy. When he was 19 years old, in one of those stories, he was on a ship called the HMS Repulse. It was December 10th, 1941. I don't know if that date is familiar with you or not, but three days earlier probably is. It's three days after Pearl Harbor. And on that day, what you may not realize is that the Japanese attacked part of the British Navy that was in the Pacific Ocean. Some people call it the British Pearl Harbor. They sunk a few ships, the Repulse and another ship along with it. 800 soldiers on Maurice Pink's ship died that day. The ship actually sank in only seven minutes, rapidly falling into the sea. Now Maurice was a part of the Royal Marine Band. And he was in the transmitting station three decks down talking on the phone when an explosion threw him across the room into the bulkhead. The lights went off and he did not know a way to get out and could not see. He heard the captain say, all hands on deck, prepare to abandon ship. May God be with you. As the water began filling the room, another sailor turned on a flashlight, shouted for Maurice to follow him because he knew where there was a private ladder. They climbed the ladder and fortunately, providentially, the hatches were unlocked. They got out of the hatch and got onto the deck where Maurice could quickly see that the ship was going down. And so Maurice, in heavy uniform, stripped down completely naked, jumped into the lukewarm, shark-infested waters with no life vest on. And he said he sat there completely disoriented. As his mind came to him, he realized he didn't have a lot of great choices. He was near the ship, and if he got too close to the ship, he would be pulled under by the vortex of the ship going down. And there was oil-slicked waters in which he was kind of swimming at that moment, and he thought, if I get past the oil-slicked waters, the sharks are going to attack. And he said in that moment, he began to panic. And then these are his words. There are times in your life when things don't go right, and you feel all alone. That happened to me on December 10th, 1941. I was on the battle cruiser HMS Repulse. We were attacked and our ship sunk. I found myself alone in the water, not able to see anyone else. It was at that moment that the 23rd Psalm came into my head. 
And I realized I wasn't alone. I had a shepherd. The Lord was my shepherd. I did not need to want. I may not have been in green pastures. I may have been in oily waters. But there he restored my soul. And even though I was walking in the shadow of death, I was to fear no evil for he was with me. The rod and staff did not ring a bell with me until the voices above me were shouting. Looking up, there was a big destroyer alongside of me. The HMS Electra with nets over the side, which allowed me to climb up to safety. That day was my rod and staff. I didn't have a table set before me, but I did get a cup of hot cocoa. And since that day, goodness and mercy have followed me all the days of my life. When I think back to that day, I wonder what would happen if I had died. And then again, the psalm had the answer. I would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you, Lord, for being my shepherd and for the 23rd psalm. Today, we start a series on what may be the most beloved and popular section of Scripture. Today, we start a series on what is probably the world's best known and most beloved poem in general. It's been that way for close to or over 3,000 years. It's been quoted throughout centuries in hospitals and jails and homes and churches, in open-air revival meetings and in underground meetings that are secretive because of the danger. It is spoken at the bedside of newborns, And at the bedside of those taking their last breaths. It's only 55 words in the original Hebrew language. And yet someone has said that it is the cliff notes of the entire Bible. Some of you may not even know what cliff notes are anymore. Back before the internet. Anybody thankful to God for cliff notes? I see those hands. Right? Before the internet, you didn't have... Hypothetically, you hadn't read a book and you had to do a report on it. Cliff Notes were your savior in that moment. This 23rd Psalm begins with the words, the Lord, and ends with the word forever. Robert C. McQuilkin said, the 23rd Psalm is the greatest poem ever penned in any language. It reigns supreme in circles of highest culture and in the humble homes of the lowly. It sounds all the chords of human experience. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. It's an amazing psalm and we're going to take the next few weeks and look over it one of the things that happens sometimes with parts of scripture that we are so familiar with is that we get to a point where we are just desensitized to it 
We, we become to the point that it just is words flowing through our head and we don't understand the implications of what is happening. And so we're going to break this psalm down week by week, bit by bit, sometimes one verse, maybe some weeks two verses. I'm not even really sure how long we're going to be here. It'll be four, five, maybe six weeks. But we're going to take what the Lord teaches us each week. And today we're going to focus only on the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. Now, you may have learned that a little bit different, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. This is one of those passages of scriptures, by the way. I love the Christian Center Bible and what they translate here is accurate and true. And, and yet when I read Psalm 23, um, there are very few parts of of this that still happened to me, but my KJV upbringing comes back, right? And I just say it, I, even reading it, I've read, out of, I've read it out of several translations this week, then even reading it today here, there were times when my tongue wanted to say the KJV version, not what's here. But sometimes that's good because it makes us stop and think, wait a minute, I thought, it's, I thought it was this. And so we're going to look at this first verse and literally we're going to go almost word by word and we're going to jump around a little bit in it. But here's what I want you to understand. In the original language, in the Hebrew, this is only three words. Lord, my shepherd, no need. That's it. It's as simple as you can get. It is straightforward. Lord, my shepherd, Lack nothing. No need. As we think about what that means for us, we begin to understand the depth and yet the simplicity. Part of the reason people love this particular psalm is that it is simple enough for children to understand and it is complex enough that it still baffles scholars. So for instance, you take that first word that is there, the Lord. The word for Lord in the original is Yahweh, the personal name of God. It is the name that in Exodus chapter 3, when God visits Moses at the burning bush, the bush that is burning and yet not consumed, when Moses has been exiled because of his participation in covering up a murder back in his, in his um, Egypt where he was born, after that story of him being in the palace raised for 40 years, he's in the desert, he's been living in exile, the Lord shows up to him and says, I want you to go get my people out of bondage. And Moses says, who should I tell them is sending me to get them? Who should I tell Pharaoh has sent me? Who am I representing? Who are you? And God reveals for the first time in this particular, in, in the, in the particular book that we're in, but also in not just in Exodus, but in Genesis and Exodus, a personal name by which he can be called. And he basically says, I am who I am. God Almighty, unchanging, unchangeable, self-sustaining, self-existent, incomprehensible. This name was so sacred to the 
the people of Israel, to the nation of Israel, that they would not speak it aloud. They would not write it the way that it is written in a lot of places. They would substitute sometimes there so that they weren't doing anything to defame or to diminish the name of God. And so we understand when we come to this particular passage and we're talking about the 23rd Psalm, we're not talking about a regional deity or a territorial God. We are talking about the God, the creator of the universe, the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, the one that declared himself to be, the one who is who he has always been and will be who he always has been. When we think about the enormity of the God that we serve, we are reminded again of the enormity of his creation and that he is the one responsible for it. I don't know if you have seen recently, but the Hubble telescope is old news. We got a new, better telescope out there showing us unbelievable images of the universe. Maybe you've seen an image like this one. I think we have one up. And what I've, what I read, I can't tell you this looking at it. I have no idea what I'm looking at. Right? What I've been told as I've read, what I've looked at, what I've seen is that the picture that you are seeing is multiple light years long. It would take multiple light years, the uh, the speed of light traveling for a year to get multiple light years to get across this span that is taken in this picture of stars just everywhere, of this gaseous thing happening here. And you were reminded that what you're seeing is but a small slice, even in this picture, of what is the expanse of the universe. At the same time, not only are we seeing grander, greater pictures of what the universe is, we're also getting pictures of the smallest details of the universe, and it is blowing the minds of scientists because what they had predicted all along would be there is not there. That even in its most infinitesimal, smallest portions, it is infinitely more complex than they ever imagined. And our God is the one that created that. And so when it says the Lord there, it is talking about Yahweh, the God, the creator God, the sustainer God, the God who is holy and eternal and without limits and all-knowing and all-powerful and transcendent and omnipresent and faithful and good and just and merciful and gracious and loving and sovereign. The best word that we could come up with in the English language to describe how we can understand God is the word incomprehensible. We can't. I heard an illustration this week. I've been, um, it just seems like how, you know, sometimes in your life it just seems like things that you never thought about before suddenly are coming at you in two or three different ways. And um, over the last couple of weeks I've been listening to, reading 
the story of the Lewis and Clark expedition. And part of that was centered around how they originally were going to go on the Cumberland River. And so I was thinking about the Cumberland River and helping Ava study for a big test before we went on uh, fall break. It was all about the settlements on the Cumberland River and all this stuff about the Cumberland River. And we're passing the Cumberland River on the way to the beach. We're over it and Ava's like, is that the Cumberland River? And that's it. And just thinking through that. And when I saw, I saw this illustration this week that said, us trying to understand God is like someone standing at the bank of the Cumberland River that is 700 miles long that goes all the way to the Ohio River and taking out a little like medical syringe and thinking they can take up every bit of the Cumberland River into that little syringe. And so that is what it is like for us to imagine that we can comprehend anything really about God. He is the Cumberland River, and our minds are less than a little medical syringe. Sometimes people ask, are you not bothered by the things that you can't understand? I said specifically about God, and I always say, I would be more concerned if I could understand the God of the universe than that I can't. That is the Lord in Psalm 23. Yahweh, the Lord. Then it tells us that he has a job, a title. He is a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. We have to remember that this psalm was written by a shepherd, right? When we meet David, where is he? He's shepherding. How do we know he's shepherding? Because he's not where he's supposed to be when they come to anoint the king. Or let me rephrase that. He's exactly where he's supposed to be when they come to anoint the king. Because he's doing the menial work of being a shepherd while his brothers think they're about to get a throne. And it tells us that he's out in the field and he's with the sheep. And we know from experience and from what reading is that David saw that that time in the field was a classroom for him. On leadership. Learning how to love the sheep help him to learn to care for people. Learning to protect the flock help him to learn how to guard a nation. Helping him lead animals taught him how to lead men. He understood what it meant to be a shepherd. And so when he attributes to Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty, the title of shepherd, he understands what the task of that are. Someone has said that there were six tasks that a shepherd of that day had. First of all, they were to seek lost and straying sheep. They were to keep them in check. Secondly, they were to feed the sheep. Third, they were to guide the sheep. Fourth, they were to tend the sheep. Fifth, they were to protect the sheep. And sixth, they were to love the sheep. Now just think about those for a minute. That a shepherd's job is to seek those that are straying or that are about to go off to keep watch over their sheep at all times. They are to feed the sheep. They are to get them to the pastures where they can feed well. They are to guide the sheep, show them where to go, lead them down the path. They are to tend the sheep. They are to take care of them, to nurse them, to help them when they're hurt. They are to protect them from outside influences. We'll talk about why in just a moment. And they are to love their sheep. Here's an interesting thing that I found out this week I did not know. Did you know that the Hebrew word for friend is derived from the Hebrew word for shepherd? And in their day and time, how many of you are dog people here? How many of you have dogs, love dogs? Okay, 
Dogs are called man's what? Best friend. Not in ancient Hebrew times. It wouldn't have been a dog. It would have been a sheep. The sheep would have been their ones that they poured life into, that they loved. Here's what I, here's what I think about when I, when I hear all of those descriptions. I mean, some of them obviously are tough. I mean, protection. But I think of the tenderness that is in there. Going after lost sheep, feeding, guiding them, tending to them, loving them. And I think about the <laughs> juxtaposition of Yahweh, God Almighty, creator of the universe, tending and loving and guiding. The Lord is my shepherd. We skipped over a word that's really important in the midst of that whole discussion, and that is the word my. Because what makes this psalm, I believe, so beloved is the personal nature of it. In fact, it is full of personal pronouns. There are 28 personal pronouns in my English translation of it, which is almost 25% of all the words used in the psalm. My shepherd. And there are a couple of aspects of that. The first is that it's the reality that it is a personal connection and relationship between God and ourselves. David writing this had a personal connection with God. It is his shepherd. It is his leader, his guide, his tender. The second aspect of that is what kind of animals need a shepherd? Sheep. Do you know that in the Bible, over 200 times, God calls his people sheep? You and I are sheep. Can I tell you, it's not the most flattering description of us. In research this week, some of this you know, some of you have, you've heard this. But there are three defining characteristics of sheep. And the first is they are dumb. Like dumb. Like they cannot do things on their own. They cannot figure things out on their own. They are dumb. And in retrospect, when we think about all the ways that God has called his people sheep, don't we realize that we are too dumb? That's a good place for an amen. Maybe you didn't catch it. Maybe you didn't, didn't click, but that's a good place. We are dumb. We do dumb things. Anybody here ever said something in the moment it came out of your mouth, you thought that was dumb? Right? Anybody ever done anything in the moment you do it, you're like, what was I thinking? That was dumb. It was ridiculous. It was stupid. Shouldn't have done it. Researchers tell us, shepherds tell us, that left to their own, sheep will literally walk off a cliff. They will walk right into the midst of a briar patch that they can't get out of. We'll, we'll talk about this a little more in depth in, in, a, in the next couple of weeks. But, you know, there's this part of this that always sounded kind of strange to me. was that he leads me beside still waters. Do you know why that was so important for sheep? Because sheep see running water and they think, man, that's awesome. I'm going to get some of that. Here's the problem with sheep and running water. 
Sheep are wearing like 800 sweaters on their back. It's almost sweater weather, right? I mean, today was kind of sweater weather this morning. They're wearing all that on their back. When they dip down to get water out of a running stream, guess what happens? They start to get water in the wool. Have you ever had a sweater that gets a little wet here and it starts to rod up the sweater? It rode up the sheep until he was top heavy and into the water he goes. They didn't realize they didn't need to get that rushing water. They just were following the impulses of their own desires. Man, aren't you glad that's not us. Sheep were dumb, are dumb. Secondly, they're dirty. They are nasty, dirty animals. They are filthy animals. They need someone to tend them and take care of them and clean them all the time. They are not by nature animals that care about their cleanliness. I have a cat. It still hurts me to even say that sometimes, but we do. We have one. That cat cleans itself a lot. Y'all have cats, cat people, right? They care about their cleanliness. I have a dog. Does not. Right? Sheep do not care about their cleanliness. They are dirty individuals and they will languish in the filth of their lives. As will we. And they're defenseless. Sheep are some of the only animals that don't have natural defense systems. And you think about it, right? If an animal comes to attack a sheep, what's it going to do? Bleed at it? Ah, that's not frightening, right? There are literally stories of, sorry for the graphic thing that's about to come here, of sheep's eyes being pecked out by birds while they sit and can do nothing about it. They are defenseless. Man, that's a beautiful description, right? Dumb, dirty, and defenseless. So how do they survive? A shepherd. So are we. Dumb and dirty and defenseless. And we're in need of a shepherd. And here's the crazy thing about this song. It says, Yahweh is the one that shepherds us. We are His. It's a personal relationship. For those of us that are in Christ Jesus, what right does He have over our life? First of all, He created us. Second of all, He redeemed us. And third of all, He is continually working on our behalf. He is our shepherd. Created in the image of God. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Working for us. Yahweh, my shepherd. And then there's a word that's not in the original, but is from an interpretation and understanding of the way the words are constructed in the original, is the little word is. Here's what's interesting about Psalm 23. It's in the middle of Psalm 22 and 24. Now that blows your mind, doesn't it? Right? 
Psalm 23 is right in the middle of Psalm 22 and Psalm 24. Here's what's interesting about that. When you take the three of them together, they are like a gospel triumphant. Psalm 22 begins with a phrase that you know, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is about the suffering of the righteous. It is about the reality of what happened. When you read it, it is predicting the way in which the good shepherd, Jesus, will die on the cross. And in his death on the cross, he pays the price for our sin and takes care of our past. He can remove the guilt and shame from our past. Psalm 22 predicts the crucifixion on the cross that happens in that way. Psalm 24 is an ascension psalm. It's a psalm of the coming kingdom of God, of the coming glory of God. It is the future that God has in store for us. It is this understanding that God is going to take care of us and deliver us to a great place. And so you have our past taken care of. You have our future taken care of. God has forgiven us our sins. God is preparing a home for us. And right in the middle of Psalm 23, when the major tense of the verbs in this passage is, is now my shepherd. And so in that process from my past to my future, when we are journeying through what is collectively the valley of the shadow of death, this place, the shadowlands that we live in, in between the already and the not yet, when we are looking forward to the day when Christ will redeem this entire place, as we're marching through here and now, He is my shepherd, He is guiding me, He is protecting me, He is taking care of now. And because Yahweh is my protector and provider and my guide and my feed and he's mine and it's now that last phrase says, I have what I need. Literally what it says in the original is lack nothing. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I Lack nothing. By the way, verses 2 through 6 explain how that takes place. I won't lack peace because He makes me lie down and gives me peace. I won't lack provision because He leads me beside quiet waters. I won't lack hope and encouragement because He renews my life. I won't lack guidance because He puts me on the right path. I won't lack deliverance because He is walking with me through it. I won't lack companionship because He is with me. I won't lack protection because His rod and His staff are there. I won't lack help and healing because it says that He comforts me. I won't lack abundant life. He describes a table of abundance set in the presence of my enemies. And I won't lack an eternal home because I am going to spend All the days of my life in the house of the Lord. I lack nothing. We live in a society that continually tries to tell us of the things that we don't have and the things that we need. And yet scripture reminds us that if we have the Lord, we have everything that we need. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. Three quick lessons from this passage and then we're done. The first is this. Your relationship with God is the most important truth about you. 
Whether or not you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is the most important truth about you. In the New Testament, Jesus in John 10:10, 10, 10, one of the or John 10, John 10:10 10, 10 is the verse that says, um, "I have come to give them life abundantly." The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come them to give a life and to give them life more abundantly. That is in a section where he describes himself as the good shepherd. Obviously in reference at times to Psalm 23. And in the midst of that he says, My sheep know my voice. And the understanding is that there is a relationship between us and God that is more important than any other relationship and it defines everything about us. And the most important thing about your life is whether or not you have acknowledged and have exceed, received the forgiveness that comes in accepting the salvation that comes from Jesus Christ and dying for our sins and saving us from our sins in order that we might be made right again with God our great shepherd and so the relationship you have with God is the most important truth about you it, conversely if you do not have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ it's also the most important thing about you because you are destined to spend an eternity away from him and do not have the assurance of his protection and provision here and now can you say the Lord is my shepherd The second truth from this passage is this. We need to trust in God to supply all our needs. Matthew chapter 6, he basically says, chapter 6, verses 32 and 33, he says, don't you know that the Lord knows what you need before you ever ask or before you even want to know? God already knows what you need. And then in verse 33 it says, so seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then all of this will be added unto you. We need to understand that God will provide our external needs. By the way, one of the things that, one of the reasons the translations have changed over the year, in Psalm 23 from the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want to have what I need, is because the word want has changed over the years. Today, our wants are the things that we wish for, that we want to have, not that we need. In the days of the King James Version, when they were translating this, I have nothing to want, or I shall not want, means that our needs are supplied for. By the way, this doesn't mean fully external, that the way that we think everything will be taken care of will be taken care of. We can survive and our needs are much less than we ever imagine. More importantly, God will take care of our internal and our eternal needs. It doesn't matter what we have externally or materialistically on this earth because if the Lord is my shepherd, I don't have any needs for the future, for my eternity, and I can trust in Him now. Philippians 4.13, one of the most misunderstood verses in Scripture, is not telling us that we can accomplish anything we want to. Football teams like to use it all the time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. LSU may have even said that before they took the field yesterday, and they could not do it. 
My cardinals may have thought that last night and they could not do it. What it is, is in the midst of a place where Paul is saying literally, I have had everything I thought I needed and I have had nothing. I have been rich and I have been poor. And what I have discovered in the midst of it all is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can endure any circumstance because the Lord is my shepherd. Philip Keller says contentment should be the hallmark of the one who has put his or her affairs in the hands of God. I thought about that this morning. I saw something on Twitter. It was online, so it's got to be true. And it said the average American now wakes up in a bad mood 300 out of 365 days a year. I don't need anybody pointing at spouses or any of that. But just think about that. 300 out of 365. I don't know the exact percentage, but it's a lot. Right? More than three-fourths. And that includes people that claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that things don't get on our nerves. And I'm not saying that bad moods aren't going to be something that we have to deal with at times. I'm not saying emotions aren't real. But what I'm saying is if the eternal disposition of your life is a bad mood, then you might need to check where your hope lies. I've been a pastor now for over 20 years. Had lots of encounters with sheep. Not real ones, the church ones. And many church people are the most pleasant, hopeful, excited people on the face of the earth. But many are not. And that doesn't mean that we don't go through real difficulty, but it means in the midst of it, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I'm trusting in Him to supply our needs. I think about the the, uh, the British navyman who said, what if I would have died? He said, the psalm provides me the answer to that. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Last thing and then we're done. Surrender to the shepherd. Trust him. Follow him. Believe him. And most importantly, turn over the reins of your life to him. I mentioned the the ways that sheep are described as dumb and dirty, not able to defend themselves. But there is something that's interesting about sheep. I was reading this week about a shepherd who said that one of the things that happened while they were out at night one time is that this isn't a modern kind of setting, but he had, a, he had several hundred sheep with him and they were out. And they had all kind of started to bed down for the night and one of them was keeping watch. And about the time that they had all kind of settled down, they heard the coyotes start to howl. And he said that he lit a torch And as he lit the torch, he said, I saw something interesting. He said, when I did, I had hundreds of sheep gathered staring at me. Now, here's the thing about that. What would most of us do? 
We'd be looking for the coyotes. He said, what has come to my understanding as I watch this is, they knew in that moment they could do nothing, and they wanted their attention focused on the one who could. How many times in my life have I tried to figure out how to deal with the coyotes when I should have just looked at the one that could? On Wednesday nights we're going through the book of Hebrews and we're not even close to here yet. But one of my favorite verses in all of Hebrews is, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. The idea is let us throw off everything that encumbers us, all the sin that entangles us, and let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let me surrender the idea that I can figure it out and I can fix it. And let me surrender my life to the shepherd who is Yahweh. When I see that picture from the web telescope and I think he is sustaining and controlling all of that, why in the world do I think he can't handle my bank account? Or the enemies that have gathered around me, the coyotes in my life. We need to surrender to the shepherd. Psalm 23, I'm so excited to journey through this together. Some of the highs and lows of life are mentioned here, but the foundational elements of it are that the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this beautiful psalm, what it means to us. I'm looking forward to being able to delve into it week by week, being able to slow down and walk through it. And Lord, I'm thankful today for the reality that you, Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty, cares for us, tends your flock, loves your sheep. And Lord, I pray that you would help me realize more and more every day that that's exactly what I am, a sheep in need of a shepherd. I pray if there are those here today that have never accepted you as their Savior, Lord, that you would make that evident to them that they need to do that. Lord, if there are those here today that need to just surrender some things to you, Lord, that you would make it clear that that's what needs to happen, Lord. More than anything, we pray that you would be lifted high in this place as our provider and our shepherd. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.